0: to the Hunt Backcountry podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. The topic of today's show is something that we haven't talked about in the five plus years that this podcast has been running, and that is muzzleloaders. I am new to muzzleloaders, have not shot one, and until earlier this year, I had never really even looked into them. But for many reasons, which you'll hear about in the show, I kind of have some interest, um, and I wanted to learn about why you should consider hunting with a muzzleloader, and also how to get started. Our guest today is John McAdams from the Big Game Hunting blog, and he himself has gone through a journey over several years on getting into muzzleloader hunting in multiple states with multiple species and has done a lot of research uh, firsthand with muzzleloaders and writing about the topic as well. Earlier this summer, John actually wrote two parts uh articles for the exo mountain gear blog one is why you should start hunting with a muzzleloader and the other was how to start hunting with a muzzleloader and so we'll share those links in the show description but we also wanted to follow up with a discussion with john and put it in this kind of podcast format to learn how to get started with muzzleloaders i will say right off the bat this is a great primer Uh, If you have some experience in muzzleloaders, you'll hear about some of the basics that you may already know, as well as dive deeper into some topics that you may not know. But if you, like me, have zero experience with muzzleloaders, this is a great comprehensive resource to get started and get you set on the right path to consider a muzzleloader as a hunting weapon for your future hunts. So in addition to this conversation, be sure to check out the links in the show description to learn more. But right now, let's dive into this conversation with John McAdams. John, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. How are you, man?
1: I am doing great, Mark. It is great being on the show, and I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, you bet. It's uh, It's been overdue, I think. It's been good. Uh, I think I've chatted with you for your show, and we've, I think, exchanged some emails for a few years now. Um, just to kick things off super high level, let listeners know a little bit about who you are, what you're up to, um, and yeah, kind of uh, call it your role in the industry, if you will. You got different irons in the fire, but just kind of introduce yourself.
1: Sure. Yeah. My name is John McAdams. I started a, uh, a hunting blog called the Big Game Hunting Blog in 2012 uh, when I was in the army deployed to Afghanistan, just kind of as a, as a hobby blog. And um, I've really focused on turning it into a great resource for hunters who want a as close to possible as a just-the-facts just, just the facts sort of resource for muzzleloader stuff, that's re- really where I got my start with it. And then I've since expanded it into a lot of cartridge comparisons and things like that in the last few years as well. And uh, you were actually one of the very first people that I remember reaching out to uh, just as I was getting started in 2013 or 2014 through your blog, uh, Soul Adventure, and so mm-hmm. yeah, you know you, you're 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 one of the people that I've uh, at least been in contact with for the longest in this industry. So yeah, it is cool to uh, to continue this relationship and and be on your podcast.
0: Yeah, no, I I like briefly remember hearing from you, and I think you just had some questions about starting the site and writing and things like that. And it feels like forever ago. Uh, and I'm not doing much of that these days, but it's been awesome to see. Uh, what you've done with it, because I, again, know when you got started and to see where you're at today. And it's cool because there's been things I've personally, you know, you throw in those Google keywords and sure enough, oh, there's John's site. He pops up. He has a great article on this. And you said it's it's just a lot of helpful information. And as you said, a lot when you get into cartridges and things like that. So that's fun.
1: It's one you know, the everything in the world is everyone has a bias right and you can't get away from it and that's fine you just got to deal with it i feel like the hunting industry in particular is is especially uh is an area where you see a lot of that come to the f- forefront where uh especially with two different cartridges the 270 versus the 30 odd six is an example i give a lot you know uh oh the 270 is the best and the 30 odd six is terrible and and vice versa and what i've really tried to do is break down as close as I can scientifically with a little bit of my own personal experiences in it as well. All right, listen, this is what this one's good at. This is what it's not and and vice versa. And so, you know, they're good for different things, but based upon what your preferences are, then maybe this is the way that you need to go with it. And, um, that that's really where I've gotten the most traction with a lot of this stuff. And the same thing with the muzzleloader deals. And, you know, as we'll, I'm sure we'll get into in a minute, uh, I got into muzzleloader hunting almost 10 years ago and I had no idea what the heck I was doing when I first got started. And so I I did a lot of experimenting and learning things the hard way and I was very frustrated by the lack of resources out there. And so I started documenting my journey through it and uh, sharing the things I've learned with other people. And that's also been just a tremendous success as well, I think.
0: Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I think there's something to that where you know, you're not like the expert yet. Right. But, and I'm like, let's say we go back to eight, call it eight, nine years ago, you start writing about muzzleloader hunting. As you said, at that time, you're getting into it. You're learning. You're not the expert yet. You're not an authority. And so some guys would say, well, why are you writing about it when you're not an expert? But I think it's actually more beneficial to have someone sharing their journey about what they're learning, what mistakes they're making. It makes it more relatable because the the quote unquote experts or the guys who've been doing it, you know, say 20 years. And this applies to whether we're talking muzzleloaders, centerfire rifles, elk calling, like you can pick any topic, right? The guys who've been doing it a really long time and they are great at it, but sometimes they skip over the things that those beginners need to know or don't remember the struggles about the process of getting to where they're at. And so I think when you are writing about something or talking about something as you're learning it, making mistakes, making victories and all that, I think it's actually a really beneficial thing. That is a great
1: point. I think you're a hundred percent
0: correct. So the the cartridge things, but you have a ton of different cartridge comparisons. Uh, as you said, try and keep it pretty fact-based objective, things like that. And man, I've been in the, even in the last five, I grew up shooting rifles, but was never like super into them. And even in the last four or five years, listeners have heard about Steve and I both getting more into that. so I've been, uh, geeking out more if you will on um, cartridges and obviously even in the last five years there's been a lot of developments in the industry which has been fun to watch and learn and read about and all that but it's fu- it is funny how that's it's it's endless man like there's there's gonna be so many fans of different cartridges there's never one way to settle a debate it's a fun conversation to have I just think it's silly when it gets call it heated if you will or or people are very one-sided because I don't I don't I think it's a one-sided uh, discussion, uh, the vast majority of the time. You
1: know, with what a lot of people tend to do is, you, uh, okay, my dad hunted with this. And so now I'm going to hunt with this. And so it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that doesn't mean that whatever you're using is bad. And it might even be the best cartridge for the type of hunting that you're doing. Uh, but a lot of people have a very narrow knowledge of, uh, of the world. And it's limited to just kind of the things that they are, exposed to and at the same time there's a lot of garbage that gets passed around out there that has no basis in reality that a lot of people think is is fact that just don't know any better and it just kinda you see the same stories kind of get passed around over and over again. And, you know, certain cartridges have uh very annoying fan bases uh that <laughs> just really get off the rails. We don't need to go into any details <laughs> on that. But yeah, you know, I had a guy on my podcast, Phil Macero, on several months ago and I remember he made a, a comment said, um you know, some people will be less upset that you uh, insulted their mother than they would be if you uh, insulted their favorite cartridge. And yeah. I think that's a great way. <laughs> he, he hit the nail on the head right there.
0: Right. No, that's funny. Um, so you mentioned the blog. You mentioned just in passing there, you have a podcast. We were talking before we hit record, you do some booking or what's going on there? Because honestly, I didn't know. And I'm just super curious uh, how you're involved with that for the hunting side.
1: Sure. When I started the hunting blog, I made connections with all all sorts of different people all over the world that, that found me one way or another. And I found you and some other guys in the United States and some guys, uh, in overseas countries, South Africa and Canada at first got in touch with me and they're like, Hey, you know, I like what you're doing here. Would you be interested in helping me sell my hunts? And I was like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. And so I started a, another business in parallel with the blog called big game hunting adventures. And so I sell, hunts in canada for black bear and moose uh new zealand for red stag himalayan tar chamois fallow deer and then in africa for plains game and cape buffalo and so like i said that's something that they're they're kind of intertwined um but yeah i i offer i set up those hunts uh for people in 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 those destinations and it's a it's a wonderful way of doing it it's like i got a very small clientele and i offer a very small number of hunts each year but it allows me to ensure that i'm offering a really good quality solid hunt for the people that i do set up with those hunts.
0: Hmm, very cool uh if guys happen to you know typically ask at the end like hey what are resources point guys to, but i just want to hit on that in case there's guys who are interested what's the best way to get a hold of you on things like that
1: so you can visit me at the blog at biggamehuntingblog.com, and I have a you, you can go to my contact page and get in touch with me there, okay. or go to biggamehuntingadventures.com if you're interested in learning more about one of those hunts.
0: Cool. Appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, so we uh, today mostly wanted to talk about muzzleloaders, um, and the way that this came up is we were working on some stuff, and you ended up um, writing some articles for us on the Exo Mountain Gear blog about muzzleloaders, uh, a couple of those. And I was personally interested in the topic, um, which is why we first had you put together the articles. And then once you put the, together the articles, I thought they were super helpful. And then thought, man, this would be a great discussion as well. And I don't know that we'll hit all that, but um, just to kind of lay framework, I, like, I've like i never shot a muzzleloader. I've been around them. I've never hunted with one. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it's just all new to me. Um, and for a long time, I didn't really have interest in them. Uh, but I'm starting to more and more. Um, and I think that's that's on two fronts. One is I'm just generally curious about stuff and love learning new things. And I, I kind of love almost like that process we talked about earlier. I love the process of not knowing and then doing research and then doing call it first hand research, right? Like doing my own called experimentation and get involved and just learning all that goes into something and i'm starting to feel that way about muzzleloaders mm-hmm. so it's one i have this like innate curiosity um, about them and then two and i think a lot of guys are in the position as well and I'm, I'm probably behind the ball at the same time I, in a way i think i'm in a position where a lot of people are there's more interest in muzzleloaders simply because more and more guys are realizing that they open up new opportunities And even if you don't necessarily want to hunt with a muzzleloader specifically because it's a muzzleloader, but you do want to get into the field as much as possible or you do want to have this opportunity to hunt a certain state or hunt a certain species, maybe you're playing the points game, you begin to realize that if I'm open to hunting a muzzleloader season, it opens up new opportunities uh, to then extend seasons or potentially draw tags, things like that. So even in... um, you know, like the first article you did for us before we get into the how of muzzleloader hunting. We talked about the why. Um, and so I hit on some of that here. But yeah, talk on that. Like, go back 10 years. What was it for you that made you want to pick up a muzzleloader and start hunting with one?
1: Yeah, so that's exactly it. I got into it uh, to expand my hunting opportunities, just like a lot of people do. And so I grew up hunting with a rifle. And I still do. And I, I really enjoy it but I I never hunted with a bow and it's just something that I never had any interest in doing. And, uh, but I'll, I'll I'll share an interesting story with you that really, I, I think lays this out really well. You know, so back when I was in the army at the beginning of my career, I was stationed in Georgia first at Fort Stewart near Savannah and then at Fort Benning, which is just South of Atlanta, Georgia has great hunting. You can hunt hogs all year round, no bag limit. And it's got a super long deer season, October through January, and you can kill t- uh, 12 deer a year there, uh, two bucks and 10 does all seasons combined, which is, you know, was great. And so I had a friend that was stationed there with me at both places and we'd hunt uh, for hogs most of the summer, every chance we got during the weekend, we, you know, this is before I was married and everything. And so I uh, get off work and, you know, immediately hit the woods. And while we were messing around out there looking for hogs, we found, we, you know, we found deer all over the place and found lots of great places to hunt deer because, um, you know, we were, you know, some of the few people dumb enough to be running around out in the swamps of Georgia in July and August when it was super hot. Uh, so, but what would always happen when we were Fort Stewart was the woods would turn into a big pumpkin patch as soon as deer season opened. And, you know, so we'd go and check out all these uh, great spots that we had for deer hunting and there'd be people there. And um, so, you know, we were brainstorming ways to, all right, what, what can we do deal with this? Because... Um, right. So Georgia is one of those states, you just buy a hunting license and you can go hunt. And, uh, there's road access everywhere where we were hunting. And so it was really hard to get away from hunters. Well, we came up with the bright idea. Why don't we hunt with a muzzleloader? So in Georgia, the muzzleloader season opens a week before rifle season. So we had a full seven days out in the woods to hunt those deer and get the drop on them before everyone and their brother hit the woods when the rifle season opened. And, uh, I can, we can go into detail in a little bit about the the stuff that we bought and, and, and how we got into it. But, um, that first weekend we went out there, uh, for, for deer season, my friend shot a, a doe literally 30 minutes after the season opened. And, uh, I had a shot at a, uh, uh, a small buck that I wasn't able to take, uh, because I just, I, I, I wasn't ready for it. And my, uh, and whatnot. And like I said, we can get to that in a second, but I was like, man, this is we're we're onto something here, and we ended up continuing that. And Fort Benning had an interesting deal where there were a lot of hunting areas—not a lot, but several really good hunting areas that you could only hunt in with archery equipment, a shotgun, or a loader. And so, even after the general rifle season started, we'd start hitting those areas, and you know, we were the only guys there, and we had a, we had a great hunting season, and it worked out great for us. And so, when I went up to Washington for my next duty station at Fort Lewis. I continued hunting with a muzzleloader because it was that to the nth degree in in Washington where uh, I want to say 7% of the hunters in Washington hunt with muzzleloaders and uh, Washington has tons and tons of public land and just like in Georgia, the muzzleloader season uh, kicked off before rifle season and so I made some friends with some guys that hunt with a muzzleloader up there and I'd go hunt up in the national forest that was just covered in deer and we'd go up there and it would just be like the three of us and 80,000 acres and not see hardly anyone else hunt deer. And it was, it was great. And you know, that same area just fill up with rifle hunters when the general rifle season uh, would open up. And so it was a great way to expand our hunting opportunities. And at the same time, it was very satisfying uh, too, because it was a challenging way of doing it. And it was learning a new trade uh, while at the same time uh, an excuse to hit the range a lot. And when, you know, I did end up, you know, shooting deer and hogs and whatnot with that muzzle loader, uh, it, it gave me a real sense of accomplishment from one. I went from knowing literally nothing about this, not that long before to, okay, I'm actually able to go out here and consistently take deer with this, this muzzle loader. And it's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, just to highlight what you said there, seven percent and rough number here but I remember even seeing that in your article when you posted some numbers I, I knew it was single digit percentage of hunters in Washington just as one example are hunting with a muzzle loader. and that if there's guys in that seven percent now they're probably mad at us for talking about this but <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, it's just it's worth mentioning like and that's again it's part of the reason I'm interested is everything you said it's going to open up new opportunities to acquire tags and then when you are hunting seasons um it's just a way to have less pressure right so there's just a lot of benefits to it for sure can can you hit on um and i'm not obviously this is always a tough discussion uh, different states different units different species etc but even like for guys who are specifically looking at western hunting elk mule deer etc just kind of touch on some of the high level of what does that do for you? Like if, if you go from looking at rifle hunts or archery hunts, if you add a muzzleloader into the mix and you're looking at tag acquisition and in, in different states for different species, I mean, is it pretty significant difference on the number of opportunities that that opens up for you?
1: It definitely can be, you know, so in, in Washington, there were twice as many bow hunters as there were muzzleloader hunters just, you know, on, on average. And so that just, I don't know that that trend holds true in every single state, but it's an interesting rule, interesting thing that I noticed that when I, when I was up there, um, every state is a little bit different, but it definitely does open up some opportunities. You know, so I live in, uh, El Paso, Texas. And so I apply every year in New Mexico and New Mexico. Um, let me think here what the unit is. I think it's unit 15. It's one of the Gila units. There's an archery season and a muzzleloader season, but no rifle season. And I, you know, I, I I couldn't tell you what the odds are of drawing that tag right now with a muzzleloader versus with a rifle or a bow, uh, but that is something that I ended up putting in for this year. I didn't end up drawing; I drew a rifle tag. Uh, but uh, last year, I had a. Uh, I drew a deer tag that I had, uh, I put in for my first and second choices were the, were the rifle hunts, uh, for this particular unit. And my third choice was the muzzleloader hunt. And I drew the muzzleloader tag last year. So had I not been willing to hunt with a muzzleloader, I might not have drawn that tag. Uh, so it is definitely something that is worth considering and worth looking into, uh, in Arizona, uh, the, a lot of the muzzleloader elk hunts take place, uh, they, they get you an opportunity to hunt, uh, during the rut in some units, those tags are really hard to draw. I think they are a little bit easier to draw than say an early rifle tag, you know, where you'd be hunting in September in those areas. And so I don't know that it makes a giant difference in your favor, but once again, it is something to uh, keep in mind. And you know, so, so yeah, it, it, it is definitely something that, uh, you is worth looking into if you're willing to hunt with a loader.
0: Right. For guys who are completely unaware of muzzleloaders, maybe they're picturing, you know, a primitive muzzleloader, they're thinking of a frontiersman like Daniel Boone or something, let's just begin to talk about muzzleloaders, and this could be a whole different conversation. I just want to keep it pretty high level right now, but talk about effectiveness, uh, lethality, things like that, because for those who are unaware, I, I could almost equate it to um, you know, some people who are uninformed about archery, for example, um, thinking, well, oh, you're just going to go out there with this thing and wound stuff and they're not effective and they're not lethal and what have you. Um, just again, from that very high level, talk about the effectiveness and lethality of muzzle loaders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that is a good point. And it is one of those things that, uh, y- you run the whole gamut. Uh, I started out with a traditional muzzle loader, uh, it was a Thompson center, um, Thompson Center New Englander, which is similar, that I don't think they make it anymore, but it's very similar to their uh the Thompson Center Hawk Hawken rifle, which is in current production. It is a side lock percussion cap muzzle loader, and it's um pretty basic. A flint lock is a little bit more primitive than that, but aside from a flint lock, this was about as, like I said, about as basic as, as you can get. With that muzzle loader, I felt very confident once I had really worked out all the kinks with it and was very comfortable with it. I felt very comfortable taking a shot on a deer at about a hundred yards. And, uh, I really tried to get into about seven, 50 to 75 was really that sweet zone with it. The ballistics on a lot of these muzzle loaders, you're roughly comparable to, uh, say a forty-five seventy, especially something like one of those very early forty-five seventy loads that, that use black powder. Um, it's, it's a sing, basically a single shot rifle. Yeah. You can reload it, but it takes a while. Uh my friend on the opening day of deer of deer season when he shot that doe was set up perfectly on a deer trail. Doe stepped out, he shot her, and she dropped right there, and smoke went everywhere. And so that's another uh downside of using a muzzle loader is that uh if there's not a lot of wind, and especially if you're hunting um in kind of a a forested area like he was with high humidity, the, the smoke can hang around a little bit and it can be hard to tell what happened when you shot. so he shoots this deer smoke goes everywhere. When the smoke clears, there's an eight point buck standing right in front of him that had been with the doe. And he got excited and shot the doe. And, uh, had he, um, had a, you know, a, a repeater of some sort, you know, bolt action rifle, he would have been able to shoot that deer, but he couldn't, uh, cause he wasn't able to reload fast enough before that, that deer got out of there. So that is a, a downside of a muzzle loader where it, you know, you got the smoke and then it takes a little while to reload. I definitely have heard stories of guys that, We'll shoot a muzzle loader at an animal and miss or something like that. And the deer will be kind of wondering what the heck is going on, give the guy time to reload and shoot it. So it could definitely have, you know, you could definitely do it if you're, uh, if, if you're up on your game, but you got to be ready and it, but it is a downside. Um, the lethality of it does depend on the type of muzzle loader and the type of bullet that you're using. Cause we have everything here from a plain old round ball, which about, is about as basic as it can get. But it can be very effective, but they're they're very uh for their caliber, they are relatively lightweight and they're not very aerodynamic uh, so so that is a downside of them, but they can be very accurate, especially if you have an older muzzle loader that can only shoot those but then we have some very very advanced bullets uh that that are specifically designed for use in muzzle loaders you know, specifically Barnes makes, um, a, a couple different, uh, variants of their Barnes X that are specifically di- designed for muzzle loaders that I've used with great success and they work great. And so, uh, your effective range for most of these muzzle loaders is not very long. Um, 100, maybe 150 yards. And for, and for some of them, you can get out to 200, 300, but that's, uh, that, that is really pushing it for a lot of these muzzle loaders. But, you know, like where I was hunting in Georgia, where I was hunting in Washington a lot, uh, you know, a 50 to 75 yard shot was very common in there. So that aspect of it was not a downside at all. Um, the, there's the Remington 700 ultimate muzzle loader and the CVA paramount, which are much newer designs that are specifically designed for much better longer range performance and we can get into the details of what makes them different later if you want uh but i um you know with my cva paramount i've shot uh very i've gotten great accuracy all the way out to 400 yards uh with with that muzzle that shoots you know great i don't know that i would shoot a deer or an elk or something at 400 yards with it but the accuracy is definitely there but even with that one which is a very advanced uh, muzzle loader where you're shooting a very high, uh, very large charge of powder with a very uh, aerodynamic bullet for a muzzle loader. Anyway, you're still looking at a tremendous amount of bullet drop at 400 yards, you know, compared to what you got zeroed at. So, you know, it's, it is nowhere near a center fire rifle by any means. Uh, but it is definitely, you, you, it is definitely very capable in the right hands and it is, you have an effective range on most of these muzzleloaders, where for a lot of people in many situations, it honestly may not even be a handicap at all.
0: Mm, yeah. Is there um, again? I'm if you, if there's a culture or a world surrounding muzzleloader hunting, I'm certainly not a part of it. So like, I don't understand the nuance or what um, taboos may be out there, things like that. But what you were just talking about of it's it's common to talk about yeah, 100 yards and in, 150 in. You hear that a lot, but then I know that there are guys, I was actually just talking to someone on the phone the other day who's who has a mule deer tag in Colorado and he was saying that for him he feels confident up to 300 yards. And it's not like I think I can, it's like a, I know I can. Like he's hitting 10 out of 10 and his practice and all that at 300 yards. Is is there a mm, controversy about that like meaning if you take the archery world obviously you have like trad bow guys you got compound bot compound bows even amongst guys who shoot compound bows you guys you have a culture of people saying you know 30 to 40 is a reasonable max you got other guys stretching that to 80 or plus right so is there is, is there a disturbance in the water in the buzzer litter culture about guys taking it longer and longer and or obviously related to that more modern equipment than being introduced into the muzzleloader world. And obviously part of the reason muzzleloaders have their own season in many instances is because the weapon platform is unique and has some inherent limitations compared to a centerfire rifle. But now with technology and all that, the boundaries are being pushed of what muzzleloaders are capable of. And so I could see how there's you know potential, call it drama there, right?
1: And you're you're right, and there is. <laughs> um, it, on 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 one end of the spectrum, you have a a pretty sizable chunk of people that are very hardcore traditional muzzleloader guys. They like their flintlocks, they like their percussion cap muzzleloaders, and you know all, all you need is a plain round ball or a real basic conical bullet. You need to be using regular black powder. And uh, and and that's great. You know, and there's and there's nothing wrong with with doing that. Like I said, that's how I got started. Um, You know, there are some people that really get hardcore into it. And there's uh, traditional muzzleloader matches that these guys will participate in. uh, Some of them cast their own bullets use a traditional powder horn they'll you know they'll even dress uh for the role with the coonskin cap and and buckskin clothes and things like that so you know those guys are very much of if you're going to hunt with a muzzle loader, this is what you need to be hunting with and uh I, a lot of those guys really uh don't like the the, the much more advanced muzzle loaders, especially you know the, the super new stuff like the like the remington and the cva paramount that i was telling you about a minute ago um I mean, uh, Pennsylvania actually even has a very specific flintlock muzzleloader season where you have to use, uh, you know, the ext- extremely, uh, primitive muzzleloaders, uh, to be used in it uh, as well. And so, and you're right, you know, you've got a lot of these hunting seasons in, in states that were designed for, okay, Hey, we're going to have, you're going to get these special benefits of being able to hunt then, but you know, we're going to make it a little bit harder for you, um, I am not 100% sure on the details of this because it happened uh, before I moved to Washington, but I heard that uh, in the 90s, maybe early 2000s, um, more advanced inline muzzleloaders were uh, allowed to be used during the muzzleloader season in Washington. And uh, in a lot of parts of Washington, you can hunt deer and elk over the counter with, with just a regular tag. And I had Uh, heard secondhand that the muzzleloader hunters were too effective in killing too many animals and the game and fish department had to make a decision okay do we want to make these hunts draw hunts and make them harder to get and and thereby reduce the the harvest uh by that method or are we going to leave them over the counter and then restrict the muzzleloaders a little bit and they, they ended up going that route and so when i went to washington uh they had much more strict regulations on what was allowed to be used there than you know when uh you know th- than I had heard used to be the case uh, but in any case g- getting away from that for a second you also do have the a, a different crowd that that likes to push the envelope a little bit uh with with technology where you're using a more advanced muzzle loader more advanced propellants and bullets put a scope on your muzzle loader things like that that will allow you to shoot um at a little bit longer range and uh if this guy says that he's um you know very confident at 300 yards I mean I believe him I feel that confident with my CVA Paramount the difference is uh for me uh with my, with my muzzle loader that has a scope on it and I'm very confident that way Colorado doesn't allow uh scopes so if he's using that muzzle loader during the muzzle loader deer season there he's hunting with iron sights and certainly possible just a whole lot more difficult, uh, taking a 300 yard shot on a deer with iron sights. People do it. Uh, but that definitely does add a whole different twist to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe elaborate on that a little bit. It's something, again, I, I realize this is a very basic high level podcast and that's, uh, that's where I'm at. I think it's where a fair amount of listeners are at. And if guys are more advanced, that's great. We'll get there eventually, but it's not a situation where you want to walk into a proverbial sporting goods store and just buy a muzzle loader without understanding what you're getting because it it will depend on where you plan on hunting i mean you mentioned several things there in passing but i just think it's worth really highlighting a little bit because it is different than buying a rifle, even buying a bow. You know, you take archery, there's certain states where, okay, you have to use a fixed blade, you can't use a mechanical. Or there's certain states where uh, you can't use a lighted knock and then certain states where you can So like there's differences among states. You could say the same about rifles. Some have minute, um, minimum cartridges or bore diameters, um, things like that. But for muzzleloaders, there's a lot more nuance to this state, this is legal, this state, that's not legal. So what are some of those, and again, we're not going to run state by state and hit every regulation, but as we start to talk about then, okay, I'm interested in getting a muzzle loader. I'm going to be hunting XYZ states. What are some of the differences? What are some of the common things that certain states restrict, certain things don't, that need to just be factors in our decision making?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. So um, I can I could talk to you... Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of of different states that I've hunted in that kind of illustrate this process pretty well. Um, Texas is where I live now, and I I do hunt with a muzzleloader in Texas. And I used to live in Washington, and so my family was still in Texas. And so I would bounce back and forth and hunt both states. And so it was just a a, a total 180 from what was allowed in Texas versus what was uh, allowed in Washington. So the Texas muzzleloader regulations are very, very simple. Uh, A muzzle loader uh, is a firearm that can only be loaded through the muzzle. And that's it. It's just like a one-sentence description. And so you can have a scope on it. uh, You can use pelletized powder. You can use any type of bullet. um, But Washington, on the other hand, their regulations have loosened up a little bit since I've left. uh, But their big deal was you had to use an ignition that was exposed to uh, the elements, exposed to the weather. You couldn't use a scope. And I don't think you could use pelletized powder when you were there. But so that scope is always one of the big things that's that, that's regulated. And that it, for most people, shooting with iron sights is quite a bit uh, more difficult than shooting with a scope. And, you know, I, I, I'm in that group, too. So that limits your effective range uh, and, you know, shooting in a little bit darker conditions where a scope might work a little bit better than a... Um, uh, then iron sights, you know, that's a deal too. And with Washington, that deal where your ignition had to be exposed to the elements was, was really tricky, uh, because especially in Western Washington, you know, during, uh, October, November, it rained a lot. And so it was a real challenge, uh, trying to keep your powder dry, make sure that muzzle loader was ready to go for when you got that shot that you didn't have a, a, a click with, with no bang because your powder got wet. Um, Colorado, like we were just you know, like this guy was uh, asking you about, is another one of those states that has really um, let's what, what's the way they've they've pretty strict and, and specific regulations. Once again, it has gotten a little bit better in, in recent years with them. Uh, you, know, if you do a Google search for what's you know a, a bullet legal to use in Colorado, sometimes you'll pull up something from two thousand six that's out of date. Uh, but you know, I'll just go over their regs with you right now. It's um, you know so for. For them, um, to hunt deer, pronghorn, or bear, conical bullets must be a minimum of 40 caliber, round ball, minimum of 50 caliber, elk and moose, conical bullets must be a minimum of 50 caliber, round ball bullets must be a minimum of 54 caliber. Uh, you can use a 209 primer, you cannot use pelletized powder, you cannot use smokeless powder. Uh, you cannot use sabos. You cannot use scopes. You cannot use electronic devices. And so, like I said, Colorado is a good choice of a, or a good example of a state that you really got to be careful with what you can use there, because there's a lot of really good stuff that you can use in that state. But it could be very easy to uh, get off the rails a little bit and use something that's not legal if you're not paying attention and not really digging into the to the regulations, because with that stuff, it is as much. What's legal to use is as much as what uh it says as much and uh, as much as it says as well as what they don't say in the regulations
0: mm, yeah, gotcha what can we like run down um again guys who are completely new myself included, and I've looked at this information, I just don't have first hand experience, but talk about like first of, let's at powder, right so you mentioned in Washington must be exposed to the elements. What does that mean, and then what are examples of types of powder propellant that wouldn't then qualify? So just, again, high-level, different types of uh, methods of ignition, or not ignition, but propellant.
1: Yeah, so there was two, two things that you were talking about there that were related. So with uh, almost every single muzzle muzzleloader uh, is designed to be used with either black powder or a black powder substitute. It is for 99% of muzzleloaders. It's extremely dangerous to use smokeless powder, which is the type of powder that you would use in a uh, in a centerfire rifle, uh, handgun, or or shotgun. So, one don't don't do that. Just use actual black powder or a substitute like Blackhorn 209, Hodgkin's Triple Seven, Pyrodex stuff like that. Um, those propellants, mainly Pyrodex and Triple Seven, they will. C- come in either loose powder where you just it's exactly you know what, what it sounds like you just you know pour pour down your barrel or preformed pellets that are 33 grains or, or 50 grains those are the normal um normal weights for those the pelletized powder are very easy and very simple to load you just drop you know two of them down the barrel and you got a 100, 100 grain charge and, and it's ready to very very easy pre-measured very fast it is not the most precise way of doing things but it will work uh, so for Colorado and for Washington uh at least it used to be in Washington I I don't I don't hunt there anymore so I'm not real familiar with the rules there but when I was there you had to use loose powder you could not use that pre-formed stuff in Washington in the same uh at least when I was there held true for Idaho and Oregon and and I th- I, I don't know what the regulations there are now. Once again, definitely something these these things change uh, pretty frequently. So it's absolutely worth looking into the regulations every year before you before you go out to make sure what you're using and plan on using is um, is legal. So you have to you can't use a scope. You have to use uh, loose powder. And in Washington, when I was there, it had to be exposed to the elements. And what that meant was um, a your typical inline muzzle loader was not legal to use. And so if you go, if you go way back to, uh, the 17, 1800s, guys would use a flint lock or a cap lock muzzle loader that had the ignition source on the side of the muzzle loader. So You'd have a big hammer there that was exposed that would either hit a percussion cap or strike a piece of flint, create a spark that would ignite it. Uh, that source of ignition is exposed to the elements and that is 100% legal to use in in one of those states that it needs to be exposed to the elements a inline muzzle loader is just what it sounds like instead of having the ignition set off to the side it is centered on the on the bore and quite often these are either a bolt action or normally a a break action like a single shot uh rifle where you'd hit a lever and it would break open, like, like an old shotgun or something like that, and you open it, put your primer in the base of it, after you put the powder down the other end of the barrel, then close it, then you're good to go. Normally, that, that type of muzzle loader is, um, that, that ignition is not exposed to the elements, uh, so which is great for your reliability, uh, because you have the uh, ignition source that is, instead of having to go make a turn down a fire channel, uh, off to the side to reach the powder, it is directly in line with the powder, has to travel a shorter distance and it is uh, directly in line with it instead of off to the side and it is protected by the receiver of the muzzle loader, which also you know protects it from rain and snow and other you know any any other moisture that 's out there and so that 's really good for your reliability so in Washington, one of the things that they did to decrease the or increase your difficulty uh, a little bit was okay it has to be exposed to the elements so like i said a flintlock or you know any type of side lock muzzle loader would work and what some uh companies did namely cva was to get around that was they would take the regular inline muzzle loader and then cut some holes in the breech plug where okay you know you can physically see your primer uh as it's as it's loaded there and so okay it is now exposed to the ignition it exposed the ignition source is exposed to the elements and so therefore it is legal to use like I said I think Washington has gotten away from that I don't know about Oregon and Idaho
0: interesting it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of nuance yeah you know? it's a lot of nuance and then it's curious to hear about the manufacturers like looking at regulations and call it adapting if you want to, uh, want to put it that way
1: You know, so when I was in Georgia, I originally bought this Thompson Center muzzle loader that was a, you know, a side lock, uh, cap lock. And I used it there because I knew I was going to Washington and I wanted to have a muzzle loader that I would be able to use in Georgia where it was, that was legal to use. And then that same one would be perfectly legal to use in Washington as well. And, you know, it ended up working out fine, but it was using one of those muzzle loaders is just a little bit more challenging than using
0: an inline. Hmm got it um let's talk about bullets a bit you mentioned um before we get into call it types of bullets if you will um in terms of sabots and that like hit on caliber uh you mentioned i think in colorado regulations for example i think i heard 45 i heard 50 i think i may heard 54 mm-hmm. um talk about caliber uh, maybe just overall um what are the pros and cons aside from regulations like what are pros and cons between those differences? And then maybe what's a good overall recommendation as a call it an all around choice.
1: So probably the single most popular caliber for a muzzleloader these days is 50 caliber. And so it's, you know, it's about a half an inch in diameter. The, so in, if you have a 50 caliber muzzleloader in almost every state, it's going to be legal to use for just about everything. And in Colorado, it, it's it, that would be fine as well. You could hunt, if you're using conical bullets, you can use 50 caliber muzzle loader to hunt deer, bear, pronghorn, elk, and moose. Um, the, you're starting to see a little bit of a trend now with some companies like CVA are stepping down to a 45 caliber, um, muzzle loader for especially like the CVA paramount. And I think they have a new CVA Acura coming out that is, that is 45 caliber as well, because that as Muzzle loader bl- bullets in general are not very aerodynamic. I mean, you look at them, they're real kind of short and stubby, uh, very different looking from your typical um, you know, real sleek um pointed boat tail bullet that you would use in a center fire rifle. Uh there is a trend now where some muzzle loader bullets are starting, they're they're starting to to, to work on, okay, we're going to make these a little bit more aerodynamic to maybe increase people's effective range a little bit, a little bit less bullet drop, a little bit more retained energy downrange. And so the way you do that is you lengthen the bullet and quite often make it heavier. And uh, but while you do that, when you make a heavier bullet, quite often that increases recoil, and especially if you're doing with like what CVA did with the Paramount, where you're allowing people to use a much larger powder charge. And so, in order to make recoil a little bit more bearable while well, at the same time um making a bullet that is heavier and much more aerodynamic than is typical that is easier to do with a forty five caliber bullet than with a fifty caliber bullet and then and on and on down the line, which is why say six millimeter and six point five millimeter bullets are so popular with uh long range shooters and seven millimeter bullets as well um you know that that's that's a long way off from uh, what they're doing in the muzzleloader world, and I don't know that they're ever going to make it to that point. But one of the reasons, one of the other reasons why you see muzzleloaders are so much larger caliber than what is typical for centerfire rifles is because the bullets are going usually quite a bit slower. And especially back in the day when they, you had just plain black powder, there was a pretty low upper limit for what you could get with, uh, velocity for almost any, um, any volume of powder, uh, 17, 1800 feet per second. If you were getting 2000 feet per second, that's, that's very, very fast for a muzzle loader. And so because they had that upper limit on their velocity, they couldn't push them very fast. So, okay, let's make these bullets very large diameter and make them very heavy. And so you can just use more powder to shoot that really large diameter, really heavy bullet at, once again, that upper limit of the muzzle loader velocity that you can get with, and it's not the upper limit of a muzzle loader velocity, it's the upper limit of what you can get with black powder. And so that limit has um, increased a little bit uh, in recent years with black powder substitutes but still you're you're not going to be getting three thousand feet per second out of a muzzle loader that like you would with a um you know a, a lot of centerfire fire rifles just because of the the differences in the uh, the the way the powder burns and, and, and that stuff um, does that answer your question?
0: No that's helpful for sure yeah i mean beyond um beyond caliber then let's talk about some of the different bullet designs constructions if you will i mean i'm uh staring at a photo from one of the articles you submitted for us and again those links will be in the description of the show so guys can check these out but you know i'm seeing bullets that are essentially fully uh, jacketed you know what guys mostly think of as a bullet has a plastic tip i'm seeing other bullets that are have a plastic base to them um so the base is a plastic of some sort and then you have the metal um, jacketed portion and a plastic tip i'm seeing others that are uh, have a plastic sleeve um and you can talk about what that is i'm seeing uh, essentially a hollow point versus a tipped bullet like there's all these different variables there so maybe just hit on what are some of those differences um when it comes to actual bullet design and construction then mm-hmm.
1: and so this is you know, so i have a, a framework that i use when i'm trying to determine okay what what am i what, what do i need to use on this On and so the first thing is always, okay, what is legal? And what is legal to use in a particular state really influences this. And that is one of the reasons why you see such a variation in the different bullets, because some states will allow you to use a Sabo. Some states require you to use all copper bullet. Uh, Idaho use, requires you to use an all lead bullet. Uh, Oregon does not allow any plastic at all on a bullet. Uh, so you can't have a plastic sleeve at the base. You can't have a plastic tip. So, Uh, manufacturers have, you know, they make a certain niche of bullets that is, is specifically targeted towards certain hunters in different States, one that is legal. And then the second thing that I use in my framework is, okay, what sort of experience do I want? And then step three is okay. Based upon what the answers to step one and two are, what is best for the type of animal that I'm hunting and for the situation that I'm going to likely encounter this animal under. So at the most basic we have, you're just plain old round ball and it is, uh, a usually some sort of lead alloy. You'll see, you know, uh, it, it varies a little bit, but it's a bullet that's mainly lead. And that those bullets are usually pretty easy to get to shoot accurately in, in a muzzle loader. Um, every muzzle loader I've ever had to include my inlines has shot really well with a plain old round ball. Uh, so, and they're really cheap. So that's, that's two pros of, of, of them there. The cons of them are, is that lead ball, a plain old round ball is not very aerodynamic at all. Um, the, the, the BC depends on the caliber of it, but you're looking at a, a ballistic coefficient of like 0.07 for a, a round ball, which is a, a far cry from, from what we're used to. And it's even, you know, a regular muzzleloader bullet is not aerodynamic, uh, but it really makes a, a round. It, it really is compared to a, a plain old round ball, and they're very light uh, for their caliber. So a 50 caliber round ball, which is actually like .490 caliber, it normally weighs say 175 grains. Uh, which for something that weight is extremely light. It can be extremely effective though. I mean, people have killed a lot of deer and elk and moose with them, but you just have to be real careful on your shot placement because they're not going very fast. They are, uh, and they're not very heavy, and they so they don't penetrate very well. And so you hit a hit a big shoulder blade on a moose or something like that, or or an elk. It may not penetrate well, but if you slip it into the ribs, then you can, you know, it'll absolutely kill that animal. So I'm not trying to bash the round bullets. They work well for, for what they do. And many muzzle loaders, that's what you're restricted to. If you have a, an older flint lock or, um, or percussion cap muzzle loader with a slower rifling twist, that's, that's what, you know, that's what those, uh, muzzle loaders have to use. You step it up a little bit, uh, and you have a, a conical bullet, which is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of just a plain old round ball, it's you know it's it's shaped like a cone, and so they're they're a little bit longer and they're a little bit heavier, and so you get a little bit better ballistics out of them, and because they're uh, they're heavier, you get normally a little bit better terminal performance out of them, and so that is what I'm primarily hunted with with my old uh, Thompson Center because it had a, a rifling twist fast enough to stabilize them, um, and once again they're also pretty. Um, What's, what's the word here? They're not very expensive. They, they shot well. Uh, but once again, pretty darn basic. Uh, you know, this was just a plain old hollow point bullet. But in, in many states, not all states, but many states, those bullets are also legal to use. Then you get to a little bit more of the uh, the modern bullets. And so I'm going to take a quick segue and, and talk about one of the big issues that people have been dealing with with muzzleloader bullets. But, you know, as long as they've been around with a breech loading rifle. You load the load it from the breech, and the bullet's right there, and when you shoot it, then it engages the rifling and, and travels down the barrel. And so you can have a bullet that is large enough to engage the rifling, but it's still very easy to load. With a muzzle loader, that's not the case, because you, has to, you have to push it down the whole length of the barrel. So on one hand, if you have a bullet that is large enough that actually engages the rifling and seals the bore, it's extremely difficult to push that bullet down the barrel way back in the day when they had smoothbore muzzle loaders, what they would do was you'd have a uh, bullet that was significantly undersized and basically just drop it down the barrel. Uh, but those were not accurate not very accurate at all. You had an effective range of 30, 40, 50 yards with it. One of the uh deals that they came up with to get around that, to make this a little bit this problem easier to deal with, when especially when they made the changeover to rifles, was you would have a bullet that was still a tiny bit undersized, but it had a hollow cavity in the base of the bullet that, okay, you ran the bullet all the way down, seated against the powder. And since it's a little bit undersized, it's, you can do that without too much force. And then when you fire uh, the muzzle loader, that cavity expands a tiny bit and is just enough to seal the bore and engage the rifling. And so you don't lose a bunch of gases uh, slipping by it. And since it's engaged in that rifling, it is much more accurate. And so uh, this was a revolutionary concept back in the 1800s with the development of the Manet ball. And that that same concept is still very, very popular today. And so you see a lot of modern bullets that have that hollow base in them. Either it's a full bore bullet uh, where... You just load the bullet down, and then the base of the bullet itself expands, engages the rifling. Or you see bullets like with the power belt, where it has a plastic skirt on the bullet that does the same thing. Or you have what's called the sabo that also does the exact same thing. Now, a sabo bullet is a case where you have, say, a 50 caliber muzzle loader with a 45 caliber bullet. So you have an undersized bullet, uh, but it's very easy to load but it 's surrounded by a plastic sleeve, and then that plastic sleeve has that hollow cavity in the base, so that seals the bore that engages the rifling and then, as the bullet leaves the barrel, that plastic sleeve drops away, and then the bullet continues on down the range and Those are also extremely popular and i've i 've used them as well with with real good results uh, but that lets you you know you you get that good performance out of a out of a fifty caliber muzzle loader. With a 45 caliber bullet, for instance, and then that since it's a little bit lighter, a little bit more aerodynamic, uh, it gives you a little bit better ballistics out of it than you would with a full bore 50 caliber deal. Some states will allow you to use a Sabo, some states will not. And Colorado is one of those states where Sabos are not allowed.
0: Mm hmm. Gotcha. Man, so helpful. And I'm sure for a lot of guys who know muzzleloaders, that's just like, a well, duh, you idiot. But for me, that's all <laughs> that's all good information. I appreciate it. Um, so you talked before, obviously, there's uh, propellants, ignition, obviously different bullet choices now. Putting all that together, um, if we, and I know it's not the same, but just like from a very high level, if we equate it to building a centerfire rifle cartridge... Um, you still have a lot of the same components, right? You got a primer, mm-hmm. powder, projectile. With big game, with centerfire rifle, with precision, there can be a lot that goes into that in terms of hand loading, reloading, load development, etc. cetera. How difficult is it to put these components of a muzzle loader together and then have a good, accurate load? Meaning if a guy's maybe never reloaded for a centerfire rifle, grew up shooting rifles, shoots factory ammo... Should he be completely intimidated by this idea of, well, now I have to buy, you know, an ignition source, a powder, and a bullet, and there's these different bullet types and powder types and et cetera? Or is it pretty like simple, straightforward? There's some called basic recipes out there that get the job done.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's some basic recipes that, that will absolutely work. And this is one of those things that, um, you can, Take the take the easy way of doing it and get good results, or you can really get into the nitty gritty details of it and work and work and refine and make the perfect load and change the type of primer you're using, change the type of propellant and the amount of propellant that you're using with the different type of bullet, different weight of bullet, and really, really, like I said, get down into the nitty gritty details of it. And some people like doing that, uh, and I've done that, and it is very satisfying to you know, to work and work and work and refine it and just get that perfect load um, when my friend when my friend first bought his muzzle loader uh, we went into a dick sporting goods on Friday so it shows you how long ago this happened uh, and he bought a Thompson Center impact which is a basic basic inline muzzle loader some trip some preform triple seven pellets Winchester 209 primers and some Thompson Center shockwave sabos um, that's like the newbie muzzle loader starter kit uh, for guys that d- didn't know what the heck they were doing l- like us. And that worked just fine. Um, we were able to refine it and get, get things going a little bit better, but you know, he ended up killing a deer with that load and that's that's that was no big deal at all, especially at the ranges that we were working with. Um, when you buy a loader, you're going to get a manual with it. And usually that manual at the very end will come with a bunch of recommended loads to use in it. And that is a good place to start if you don't know what the heck you, that you're doing and that's that's basically what we did. And so usually a good place to start is to get some bullets that are made by the same manufacturer as your muzzle loader. So in this case he had a Thompson Center muzzle loader and then used um Thompson Center Shockwave uh, bullets. Worked just fine. Uh he ended up switching over to power belts and they also they actually worked a little bit better than those than those Shockwaves that he had. Um, I started out with a Thompson Center muzzle loader and used some Thompson Center uh, conicals in it. And then when I got a CVA later, I used power belts, which worked great. Um, and power belts are made by the same company that owns CVA. Um, with that muzzle loader, with that CVA, I've shot almost almost any muzzle loader bullet that was out there in it. Almost every type of power belt I shot in it. Uh, those different uh, Thompson Center bullets I used. A couple of different bullets from Hornady, uh, stuff from Federal, stuff from Barnes. It actually all shot pretty darn well. Some stuff did end up shooting better than others. And I ended up settling on that CVA muzzleloader. I used some uh, Power Belt AeroLites uh, for deer. And then I ended up shooting a bear with uh, a Barnes TEZ muzzleloader bullet. That was That was also great. So it looks intimidating when you first look at it because um, I've, I've been there and I've, I've done it and, it and it is intimidating. But the good news is that uh, just about any, all the muzzle loaders I've, I've owned, if I just followed those basic recipes, that was a really good place to start. And for a lot of people, the, the results I got out of those initial loads were just fine. You can go out there and shoot a deer at, you know, 50, 75, hundred yards with it. No problem at all. Uh, If you want to, you can really get into it and really work and try and make the absolute perfect load, Uh, because that's another thing that they really lend themselves to, especially if you're using loose powder. You know, you can start out with 80 grains of powder and then move up to 90 grains and see what sort of ballistics you're getting, see what sort of um, accuracy you're getting. Okay, 100, 110, 120. Okay, I'm going to back it off to 110. That was that sweet spot of, of what I wanted. And like I said, it just lends itself to doing that much more than a centerfire rifle if you're just using factory ammo. Of course, if you're if you're a hand loader, you can really get into it too. But that was one of the really fun parts of of really getting into the muzzleloader game to start with for me was just kind of playing with it and and seeing what worked and what didn't.
0: Yeah, that uh, newbie starter kit you mentioned, it doesn't have to be that specifically but like if a guy wants to get started with the basics what type of investment are you talking about to go from zero to shoot a deer at you know 50 yards like you said
1: he bought everything so his muzzle loader his bullets pellets primers everything for less than two hundred dollars
0: okay cool so you don't have Uh, to spend thousands i know you can like you can get into specialized Mm -hmm. stuff but yeah this can be very economical
1: yeah, definitely can. And, you know, prices are probably a little bit higher now. But, uh, you know, I think you can get a, uh, uh, a a good baseline muzzle loader for, say, $175, $180. And, uh, you know, maybe another $50 worth of gear will, will get you
0: started. Yeah. And so a muzzle loader um, is not regulated like a firearm? Like, do you still go through a background check? I know you, you can buy them online, right? Like, you can ship them on like, a firearm. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so it depends on the specific muzzle loader, but in general, yes, they are not regulated like a firearm. This is something that we can get into the details on it, but in uh, according to federal law, and this does vary by state too, so you this is also something you need to be careful with. But according to federal law, if you have a um firearm that does not use fixed ammunition that is not readily available, then it is not a firearm and it is not regulated as such. And so uh, yes, you can buy, and I, I have done this. You know, you buy uh, a Thompson Center Impact or a CVA Wolf or something like that online and get it shipped directly to your door. Like I said, not every state will let you do that. And this doesn't apply to every muzzle loader, too, because another part of the federal regulations is if a muzzle loader uses a receiver of an actual firearm, then it is a firearm. And so the Remington 700 Ultimate Muzzle Loader uses a Remington 700 action and so uh for that reason it is considered a firearm and then you have to do the normal things that you would do when you would buy a firearm for that one so in general yes but be careful with it
0: got it interesting um anything else we didn't hit i know there's a a much more that could be covered but in terms of just like beginner basics look out for this type deal um did we miss anything like super big
1: let me think here so we talked about bullets Okay, so here I'm a. This is this is a big deal. So one of the things that people really struggle with, if they if they have a big problem with a muzzleloader, it is normally having some sort of ignition problems, either where, where it's a hang fire or it's a misfire, and those can be really scary and really frustrating because uh, they tend to happen at the wrong times. And this is something that I really really struggled with when I was first getting started with that with that side lock. Um, there's a bunch of different types of 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 uh, powder that you can use in it. Uh, the more modern substitutes, like especially 777 and Blackhorn 209, they work really well, but they are harder to ignite. This is especially true if you're using like a preformed pellet. Um, I have had very, very bad luck trying to get those type of propellants to ignite reliably using anything other than a 209 primer. So, a 209 primer is very common with inline muzzle loaders. And so if you have your typical inline muzzle or probably use a 209 primer, then it's then it won't be an issue. And you can use almost any type of propellant with it. Uh, but if you are like I was where you had a side lock or like when I was in uh, Washington, uh, in addition to be having your, your ignition source exposed to the elements, I couldn't use a 209 primer. I had to use a number 11 cap or a musket cap. I don't need to get into the difference of those, but a 209 primer is hotter and it is easier to ignite things with a 209 primer than those smaller primers. And so uh, you can, I ran into issues igniting black powder substitutes with those type of primers. And so if you are having issues with getting your stuff to ignite, um, one of the things that you should consider doing is getting a different primer. You know, there's a Winchester 209 primer Uh, That works all right, but there's also uh, some Magnum 209 primers by Federal and CCI that are good options as well to, to look at if you can use a 209 primer if that Winchester isn't working. But if you're in a situation like I was or if you have a flintlock or something like that, you almost certainly have to use regular black powder as your ignition source. And I messed around for weeks trying to get this side lock muzzle loader to ignite with loose triple seven. And it was very frustrating because I'd I'd shoot two shots out of it and it would work fine. And then I'd get a hang fire out of it where I'd squeeze the trigger, the hammer would go down and then a full second later, the gun would go off. Uh, And I eventually solved that problem by switching over from loose triple seven to loose black powder. Loose black powder is much easier to ignite. So it's perfect. I mean, instant switch, instant fix the problem but the problem with regular black powder is it is there's a couple, there's a couple problems with it. It is, um, much more dangerous to store instead of, uh, it's an actual explosive, unlike smokeless powder. And the black powder substitutes are considered to be legally in the same category as smokeless powder. And so it requires an extra level of care for retailers to ship it and store it. And so a lot of places don't carry it. Uh, especially in a place like Georgia, where I lived, you could use 209 primers. So there wasn't a lot of demand for regular black powder, because most of the people there that use the muzzle loader just use 209 primers and the substitutes and work fine with them. I ended up having to drive three or four hours across the state to finally find a retailer that had black powder. Um, When I lived in Washington, since the regulations were different, a lot more people used regular black powder. So that was easier for me to find but once again keep keep that in mind and you know the other problem with black powder was it was just it's not quite as efficient as the some of the substitutes and it's a whole lot dirtier and that's another thing that um we didn't really touch on but muzzle loaders are very 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 dirty um there's varying degrees of it blackhorn 209 on one end is very efficient and uh doesn't make quite as much of a mess and it is easier to clean than the other ones but even you compare blackhorn 209 to to uh to smokeless powder and it's it's no comparisons it's super darn dirty and so that can be an issue with your accuracy um you know, keeping it consistent it can be very hard to load your muzzle loader uh sometimes depending on the powder that you're using if you shoot a couple shots without cleaning it so sh- everything about a muzzle loader is slow just you know, actually shooting it and loading it is slow, then you have to clean it every couple shots, depending on what you're using, you know, some things you can get away with it a little bit. And, you know, it's, it, it's just one of those things that if I go to the range and I shoot 20 shots with my muzzle loader, that was a really low, I, I did a lot of shooting <laughs> that day just because of how, how slow things are with it. And then you just need to make sure that you dedicate a lot of time afterwards to thoroughly clean all of your stuff or it will rust. And, uh, you know, if you have a, depending on the type of uh, muzzleloader you have, that breech plug can be really hard to get off if you aren't real good about taking it off and cleaning it and that sort of thing. So a muzzleloader is very satisfying and very fun to hunt with, especially if you'd like learning new things and doing things a little bit harder. Uh, but, there's just a lot of care and diligence that you need to put into uh, the art of, of dealing with your muzzle loader to get the best results out of it. It's not something that you should just go into, uh, you know, and kind of, kind of dabble with. You can, you can really run into problems if you aren't willing to dedicate the time and energy necessary uh, to get to, 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 do it the right way.
0: Right. Got it. Helpful, man. So much good stuff in here. I even just thinking personally, I would imagine that's a good place. I'm sure there's plenty of information online uh, from sites like yours, including state resources, but I'm just thinking out loud here. It seems to me that if I were interested in buying a muzzleloader, one of the first things I would do is figure out potentially what species and states I'd be hunting, because that's going to determine then legality. And I'm thinking going straight to the muzzleloader manufacturer and calling them and saying, here, I'm thinking about hunting this here this here what do you suggest do you think that's a a good way to approach it is go straight to call it the source um in terms of i from what you've mentioned and i would assume that this is true just that they almost have to that the muzzleloader manufacturers themselves are very in tune with regulations current regulations different state variations etc
1: yes so they definitely are i think one uh, you're, I think you're on the right track, but I would take it one step further and I would get in touch with a good retailer that sells multiple different brands of muzzle loaders and, 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 in, in different bullets and whatnot, you know, cause if you call Thompson center, nothing gets Thompson center. I have a, you know, I've had one and I I did like it. Um, you know, they're not going to be as willing to, you know, our, our stuff is the best and you need to use this specific one. Whereas if you call, a place that deals with Thompson center and Knight and CVA and traditions. And you tell them, okay, this is what the deal is. And they'll be able to pick out, help you rec- help recommend a specific model. And maybe even give you a couple of different choices o- among different manufacturers uh, that would be best suited to what you want to do and what is legal. Um, that would be a little bit better because, you know, they're not necessarily tied to one specific uh, manufacturer.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Um, so much in here. <laughs> for some guys who maybe experienced, it, it was all basic, but for me, it was all incredibly helpful. And I'm sure there's uh, plenty of listeners who, like myself, have hunted rifle, hunted archery, and just, yeah, maybe interested, potentially even overwhelmed by getting started with the loader, But I think this is a, a great start for sure. Um, John, just once again, just point guys to uh, your resources. I know um, you even have further articles and things like that, whether it's muzzle loaders or uh, we talked over about those cartridge comparisons. So just share the site and any other resources one more time for us.
1: Yeah, sure. So check out the biggamehuntingblog.com. And there's, uh, uh, I have a whole category dedicated to muzzle loader stuff where you can see my journey that I've made through it and see what I recommend for for this and that the pros and cons of of different bullets and actual muzzle loaders and that sort of stuff um and then uh, check out the big game the big game hunting podcast and you can find that at com. and my once again my blog is com.
0: well there you have it guys I hope you find this show helpful If you can, leave us a review in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you're listening to this, or just send the show to a friend that could benefit from this content. As always, you can also contact us directly via email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon.